Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Well, if there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it is magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral. It's involved in many different physiologies, including fat metabolism, energy, even digestion. And there are two big problems. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s. That explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium when, in fact, there are seven that your body can use and benefit from. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new magnesium product called Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the ultimate magnesium supplement, easily the best out there with all seven forms of this mineral. Even more exciting, it's back in stock. Magnesium Breakthrough has been selling faster than the company who makes it, Bioptimizers, has been able to keep up with. It's already sold out a few times, and due to supply shortages with everything going on today, it could very well be sold out again very shortly. The team here at Corolla and Dr. Drew have arranged for some stock to be set aside just for our audience, and I guarantee it is the best deal available for the product. With the volume discounts combined with our customer 10% coupon code, just use DRDREW10, Dr. Drew10, and you can save up to 40% off select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. It's an amazing value. Again, that is Magnesium Breakthrough, code Dr. Drew10 to save up to 40%. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, keep supporting us and supporting the wind that blows the sails of the Corolla Pirate Ship onward. We appreciate it very much. Also, check out drdrew.com. The streams we're doing there. We're trying to do some updates on all that's going on, uh, particularly with the coronavirus situation. And uh, as well, uh, don't forget After Dark. Today, it is my privilege to welcome back to the program, Maurice Bernard. Maurice, uh, is it your new book, Maurice? Nothing general about it? That's right. Nothing general about it. I love and lithium saved me on and off General Hospital. It's uh, released just recently. You can follow Maurice at Maurice Bernard, B-E-N-R-D, or also Maurice Bernard TV, uh, where, of course, if you remember, he was Sonny Corinthos on ABC's General Hospital since 1993, and uh, he's been a friend of this uh, network for a long time. Uh, welcome back, Bernard. Hey, glad, glad to be here. I've got Bernard in my head because I I spoke to Anthony Hopkins the other night. Just just at a, it's a long story. But whenever I hear his voice, I just think about him sitting down, going, "Okay, Bernard. Okay, Bernard. <laughs> Bernard in your name and, my, and not come out of my mouth." Well, most people say Bernard. Yes, I know, <laughs> and that's actually I think what the guy's name is is Bernard. But when Anthony Hopkins says it's it's Bernard. <laughs> so, uh, Maurice, what's going on? Tell us about the book. Uh, the book, I kind of, it's like, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest meets Cinderella. (laughs) And that's kind of what the whole, I mean, but there's a lot of mental health in the book. Uh, an incredible love story. I've been with Paula for over 30 years and kids and and animals and the whole thing, man. Are you still... Were, I, I remember if you bought the house or were you selling it or you're going to live there, that house down behind where Adam Corolla used to live. No, we sold that about, what, 10 years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is everybody still living under the same roof or the, the a lot of your kids sort of scattered? What's happening? I got one of my kids uh, pregnant. She lives with her husband, um, not here. And then the rest of the kids are all, we're all trapped in here. 
Well, now everyone's trapped with everybody. So, so tell me more about the book. I mean, so you were diagnosed with uh, bipolar one. Yeah, I was bi- diagnosed uh, when I was 21. Uh, nobody knew what it was. Nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. And they put me in a mental institution for two and a half weeks. Um, and that was, that was hell, man. Well, let's kind of break it down because because we didn't have terms then like bipolar one and bipolar two. We I think we were even calling it manic depression back then, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and or mania of unknown origin or those sorts of things. And what were the symptoms? What was happening to you? Um, I would stay up all night. I wouldn't sleep. I, I would cry for no reason. I would I would, <laughs> I was uh, reading Phil Donahue's mind. <laughs> he was talking directly to you. Well, hey, let me tell you something, man. He right before he would ask a question, <laughs> I knew what he was going to say, and I got my mom as a witness. Um, so things like that. There was just a lot of things that were just weren't normal, and I wasn't on drugs, and I wasn't drinking, so they couldn't figure it out. Hmm. And then one night. I got out of bed. I slept with my mom and dad just because I was sick or whatever it was. I was 21. And I jumped out of bed and I, I told my dad that I was the devil. Because mm. let me tell you something. Don't ever, don't ever have anybody watch The Exorcist. Uh, that movie traumatized me my whole life. Yeah. So um, cops came that night. But they couldn't do anything because once the cops came into the house, I was normal. I was like, hey, what's going on? No, we're just talking. Everything's fine. What about the devil? Saw the exorcist last night. No big deal. <laughs> and, but my mom and dad were crying and stuff. So the next morning, they took me to the hospital. And that was the beginning of, of hell. What, and what was the hellacious about being at the hospital? Well... At the at the first, this was the first hospital. Mm. Um, in order for them to put me in there, they had to take these big nurse guys, mm-hmm. grab me, mm-hmm. my, mom and my, my dad and my brother. And at that moment, I was calling my brother and my dad the exorcist, and I was spitting on them, and I was saying, you know, I'm the exorcist. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me a shot, which put me out. And when I woke up, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Hmm. Cause it was so quiet and, wh- and white in the, in the hospital. It reminded me of heaven until I heard the, the doctors talking. And that was the county hospital. Hmm. So I was there for about four days. Is this L- L.A. County? No, this was in uh, Martinez, California. And uh, they tied me down. To my ankles, to my wrists, to my uh, my waist, and it was just a <laughs> it wasn't good, man. What were you? Would you remember what you were doing? What made them need to do that? Yeah, I probably. You know, the truth is, before they tied me down, I guess I got violent, but I don't remember. I don't remember being violent. Mm-hmm. So they tied me down, and there's a cool story I tell where. I wanted to get out so bad. That's all I wanted to do is get out. So I was tied down to this bed. So I asked the nurse like three in the morning, 
Can you give me some chapstick for my lips? Okay, so she got me some chapstick. So it took hours. One off. Two. I'm I'm halfway free, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the next morning, when they came to give me breakfast, I took the knife Oof. that was in there, and I started rip, you know, cutting the the feet part. And the nurse caught me, and they went, "Oh my God, he's trying to escape!" Mm-hmm. So they, you know, I I was eating with plastics, uh, forks, and knives after that. Wow, you know, they they don't the, the whole leather restraint thing is not something that's done anymore. Oh, it's not really isn't no. I mean, they, they, if it is, it, it it requires all kinds of justification and review, and state agencies come in and try to figure out why there was a failure that ended up in leather restraints. Oh. Yeah, back then, uh, from the, like the 30s and 40s to the mm, early 90s, they used it rather routinely. When, when was this? What was the year? Yeah, it was the 80s. Yeah. 80, uh, what, I think, 85? And, and they, they, had a, they were using it a lot with the PCP patients and stuff, too. So they were, uh-huh. they were sort of like um, happy with it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a draconian thing, the leather restraints. I don't think it's. I don't think it's good at no, all. No, it's not good. It's not good. That's exactly right. It is not good. I mean, I guess when it started, that's all they had. They didn't have much medication and things, so yeah, they keep people from hurting themselves or other people and things. I, I have a, a book I want to recommend to you. It's by a psychologist I uh, I admire. His name is Stephen Hinshaw. It's called Another Kind of Madness: A Journey Through the Stigma and Hope of Mental Illness. His father had bipolar disorder. And it was hidden from him his whole life. And they didn't really have a language to talk about. He ended up becoming this very famous psychologist. And uh, I, I think you would really relate to it. It's, 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 the, it's the generation before yours and how they treated it then, which was they would send people away for years. And they wouldn't tell anybody where they went because it was shameful and, you know, stigmatized. Yeah, that's not good. Which is pathetic, pathetic. So, so did they finally make a diagnosis during that particular hospitalization? No, there was a there was a, a therapist in there who I kept going in talking to him, and I'd say, "Well, what's wrong with me?" And he'd say, "And what do you think? And how do you feel?" Mm-hmm. And, and I'd get upset. How do you think I think? And how do you think I feel? I feel like I'm out of control. <laughs> I like you to tell me what the hell's the matter with me. <laughs> Oh. So nobody could tell me what the and, and and there was a doc there was a, a nurse guy in there who's the only one who had who really gave me compassion. Mm. I would be out in the like and they had an outside with bars on the wall and stuff, and I would be crying out there. And this nurse guy came up. He goes, "Why are you crying?" And I said. I just don't think I'm going to make it. Mm. Meaning about hurting yourself then, or just wondering how you could make it kind of thing. Uh, Maybe, maybe halfway a little both. Yeah. 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 And like, you're going to make it. And I said, and he hugged me and I'm crying with him. Mm. And then when I did all my, when I got all my children in soap, my first soap opera, I went back to the hospital just to go back and check it out. And he was there. Wow. And I said, hey, remember me? He goes, you're on TV. I said, yeah. 
And he said, and I said, uh, why did you think I was going to make it? And he said, because I was in Vietnam for a year in a, in a mental ward. If I could do that, you could do this. Wow. Was That's pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah. It is, it is a lot of people that work in these facilities that have their own struggles with it or have yeah. you know, family history or whatever it is. It's a way to kind of come to understand it fully. And so, and it still, I haven't heard that you got a diagnosis. So now you're so, then, a- so then during that two weeks in the, in the hospital, um, a lot went down, whatever. And I, I knew I had to get out. So, I had hard shoes. I knew I had to get tennis shoes because mm. they were letting me go for a walk the next day. So you could run? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, uh, I went to this other patient in there and I said, hey, man, if you give me your tennis shoes, I'll give you my leather jacket. And he said, mm, all right. So I took some they're, yeah, but they were too big for me, but that's all right. So they let me out for my first walk out front. And I walked out in the, in the, it was a girl and a guy. And they were talking and they were laughing. And so I just sneaked up the street, kept and just ran, just kept running. Cops mm-hmm. were after me. And, but I made it. I called my buddies, picked me up. They picked me up. And then after that, couple of months later or a month later, I went to see this guy named Dr. Noonan, a psychiatrist. And I'll never forget him, man. He was like, he was like, just, he wouldn't look at me. He was just looking down, writing. Hmm. I tell him my story. He's looking down. He's like, okay, okay. And then at the end, he looked up and he said, you're manic depressive. I'm going to put you on lithium. It's going to take a while, but you're going to be fine. Mm. And that was it. And, and, and no recurrences after that? No. Nah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever have no depressions even? No, no. I had, I had quite the, the, the depression. Yeah, I'm sorry. The depression after that was unbearable. Yeah, yeah. Once all the pills, you know, were out of me, and I went through this like six, seven months of depression. There, there was nothing like that that I can remember that was that painful. And yeah, I- the depression and bipolar, it's so biological. It's like you're, you're paralyzed by it. You're overtaken. Every, every cell in your body is overtaken by it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, anxiety is which I had really bad a couple of weeks ago. To a couple panic attacks. Um, that's another animal. Yes, it is. yes, it is. It can overlap with the depression, but or it can be totally separate. Yeah, right. and, yeah. and you know, I can't sleep at night, and it's just uh, I'm now feeling better. Was it all this uh, coronavirus stuff? Coronavirus stuff, not you know. Yeah, work. Not working. You know, you have a daily routine. Yeah. And so it hit me bad uh, two nights. But mm. I always have my wife to talk to me. If I have to do it alone, it's tough. Mm. You have anxiety, right? Oh yeah. I, I had when I when I was nineteen, I had just, just paralytic panic and 
years of generalized anxiety disorder and some depression. Um, I've, al- I've often wondered if I was a little bit um, cycly because I have long periods of, you know, where I was working excessively and, you know, sleeping very little uh. and, and some earlier periods where for many couple of ye- many years I was depressed. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of a cycly kind of mood thing. Um, now good. So I don't feel like I, you know, need anything for it, but, and, and I, as I, I think my father had a similar kind of cycling pattern to him. Does anybody in your family uh, have this? Uh, my mom, I think has, uh, I'm sure she's mentally ill, never got diagnosed, but, uh, maybe about four or five months ago, she started seeing a psychiatrist cause we talked mm. It's like 80, 80 years old. So it was a nice thing that she at least tried to do that. Right. Hey, um, and not only that, the, 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 it's different, you know, when you've had a, a lifelong mental illness, being of a geriatric age can, can, it can morph into better or worse. And so it's oh. important to get it evaluated. Oh yeah. My yeah. dad's cool as a cucumber. You don't have anything, man. He's just cool. He just doesn't understand. He's like, his 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 thing is, look, va pasar, va pasar, which means what's going to happen is going to happen. Right. It, it, it's it, for people that don't have any of this stuff. It's really hard for them to understand it. <laughs> and and I, I no nowhere do I deal with this more than with family members when somebody's a drug addict. Then they're like, "What? You put you put a you put a needle? What? Why? Why would you do that?" And it's like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> we can't even start." <laughs> so, and the same thing with mental illness. It's like, "Hey, why couldn't you just calm down?" No, just calm down, man. <laughs> you can't see mental illness, right? You know, I, I went to work one time with the scar. I got cut here. People, it was like they wanted to take me to the hospital right away. And then I go to work with anxiety, like to the bone. Right. Nobody even, they're like, oh, yeah, I had anxiety once. <laughs> I think I know what that is. Yeah. Oh, man. About a year ago, I was introduced to True Nigem, a supplement specifically designed to boost a key cellular resource. It's NAD, short for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. I was impressed with the research which showed that increased NAD levels can promote cellular repair, maintain healthy mitochondria, and increase energy throughout the cells of your body. And I've been taking Trunigen ever since. Uh, It also affects cell senescence, so I'm very interested in that. I'm excited to welcome them back. Let's get to how Trunigen works. From age 40 to 60, humans experience a 50% decline in NAD. This leaves our cells with a shortage of this important resource. Additionally, things like immune stress, poor diet, even alcohol can deplete NAD further. Research suggests that increased NAD can support cellular defense against physiological stressors like aging. Trunigen is designed to boost NAD levels, and it's backed by clinical research and regulatory approvals. While the research is evolving, I'm truly impressed with the possibilities surrounding NAD and the research behind Trunigen. I suggest you check it out for yourself. To learn more about the research, science, and to order your supply of Trunigen supplements, visit drdrew.com slash Trunigen and use the code DREW at checkout for a special discount on orders of three bottles or more. Again, it's my site, drdrew.com slash Trunigen. One more time, 
drdrew.com slash T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. That's my site, drdrew.com slash trueniagen, and use code DREW. Do that today. One more time, it is drdrew.com slash T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N, code D-R-E-W. Do it today. Do any of your kids have any of this? I, you know, by the way, you don't have to answer me. I don't want to divulge any of the confidence if they don't want to talk about it. Uh, but it's, it's definitely in families. Yeah. You know, Kaylee, the one who who loves you. Um, you know, we, have the, we have the famous uh, anesthesia tape from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you got to find that. <laughs> That's a great one. She has anxiety. What? What now? The famous anesthesia. When she was coming out of anesthesia one time, fifteen years ago or something, right? Twelve years ago, she. Uh, believe she was opening uh, the Adam and Drew show. It sounded like she was just going yes. on and on about Yeah, it. I know what you're talking about. I I think our best chance is going to be to have it found on the other side of this conversation because you've requested this a few times in the past and it seems to be scrubbed from the internet. I cannot oh, find it. She took it down. I have spent I've spent untold hours trying to find that at your request and I cannot do it. All right. Well, thank you. You must be impressed. You can get it, Paul. I get it. Yeah, please do. We'd love to have it. I'll archive it so that we have it for for posterity. But uh, once in a while, we're like, "Hey, remember we got to get her video." Out. <laughs> uh, what's she doing now? She's uh, come here, Kaylee. Just come here for a second. She's in school. She just graduated. Hello. Good to see you. Oh my god, that she was. Oh, I just graduated last year from University of San Diego. For undergraduate? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's congratulations. Beautiful. Oh, my God. That campus is so beautiful. Yeah, I know. I'm hoping to go back next year if everything's still good for grad school. So, What are you going to study? Uh, something psychology related. Not sure yet if I want to do um, clinical psych or, some. I don't know, counseling. That's yeah. most of my focus. Let, let me just make a little pitch, which is that if, if you're clinically oriented, you want to take care of people and you want to get psychological training, the PsyD is, to me, one of the most flexible. I, I've worked with so many great clinicians that have PsyDs. So I just make a pitch for a PsyD. Because PhD... People recommend that to me, too. Yeah. Because PhD is more scientific, more bench research. Um, not it's, it's a great degree, but it's not just so clinically focused the way a PsyD is. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely... I had a... I did... Um, my last two semesters at school, I actually did, my school does an actual, like a counseling program for uh, students that are on academic probation, but you actually work one-on-one with them. It's private. You do like half hour, hour long sessions and you work with a supervisor. It's videotaped, the whole thing. So I had a bunch of people really advise me on a lot of different things there. That is great. Good for you. It's great to see you. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's the other thing about uh, any sort of, things we call mental illness, you know, psychiatric stuff, it, it motivates you to do stuff. It motivates you to help other people. It gives you insights that sometimes people don't have. You know what I mean? It gives you a, sort of a, it gives you a compassion that comes naturally because you, you've been there. Well, you know, I've, I've been doing this thing on uh, Instagram story called State of Mind. I just decided to do it. It's on, it, it, I do it every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's me talking about uh, living with mental illness. And it's amazing how uh, over a year later this happens. And, you know, it's, it's just uh, 
because I've been talking about it every, I haven't missed a week, although I did kind of miss one week when I was, my anxiety was a little. Right, right. It's okay. We'll let it go. And, <laughs> and so let's, let's talk about stigma. Do you feel any of that? Do you uh, fight it? Are you, is that a part of what you're, you're looking to have an effect on? Well, I have never felt stigma myself, but um, I just, I think, I, I think what I've been trying to do is let people know that mental illness is not just the kind of just go to your room and go to sleep illness. Right. It's not the blues. Right. People die. Mm-hmm. And, and lately, from what I've seen in the last five years, celebrities, whatnot, there's been a lot more deaths. Ab- absolutely. And, and substances often figure into it when it spirals a bit, but it doesn't have to. And for some reason, I mean, look, what are we on track for this year for, let me look it up. What, what are we on track to, maybe Gary, you can help me with this. Uh, estimated opiate deaths for 2018, let's say. I mean, when you hear the numbers, you, you'll be blown away, given that we're all focused on numbers around, you know, illnesses like viruses. Uh, the, the opiates is going to kill a million people. Not that year. I think it's more like 100,000. But it, it's a massive killer. And mental illness, I, we could look up bipolar too. I mean, it's it also kills tens of thousands of people. First thing and that came up is that opioid deaths uh, rose from 21,000 in 2010 to 47,600 in 2018. 2018. I think, I think we're on track for about 100,000 at the peak. But it, so let's say 50,000, which is, again, you know, we're very focused on tens of thousands of people with illness. This is the same, virtually the same as the, the corona outbreak, and yet nobody's having a big panic about that. Look up uh, bipolar disorder fatality, fatality rates. And you'll see. And, and again, we, I'm curious, uh, Maurice, you've never, or maybe you have, have you had trouble taking medication where you didn't want it when you needed it? Any, any of those? Uh, sort of- no, because I've been taking lithium because uh, I have no side effects with lithium. Mm-hmm. The only side effects I have with lithium is if I don't take it, I have a, I have a manic episode. So I've had, you know, three, but I've been taking lithium straight for 27 years and uh, I haven't had a a manic episode in 27 years. So the data here, this is a UK study, 25% injured with bipolar. I need to move the, I can't read whatever that says. Uh, Attempt suicide, 11% successfully. So it's got about 10% fatality rate. It uh, doesn't give us the number of people. So it's, again, it's 10 times more fatal than coronavirus, just to put it wow. in context, 10 times, or at least five times more fatal. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is serious business. Uh, and, and we just don't think about it that way. We, somehow we treat the brain differently, I, which I don't know. I can't imagine why, especially with things that are so clearly biological dysfunctions. Yeah. Is it again? Cause you don't see it really. I like guess, or, or he, you know, it feels to me more like we are so wedded to the idea of our autonomy and agency that the idea that something could affect our thinking or our agency, we recoil from, right? Yeah. It makes you, it, it changes who you are, which is very threatening. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and, you know, we live in a, you know, we live in a country where, Hey, you're free to free to be whatever, man. Well, how about if your freedom includes, you know, saying you're the devil and you're going to, you know, uh, hurt yourself or whatever. That, that's your, that's not you. <laughs> that's your illness. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, there was, there was one, uh, during my second episode, third episode, it's funny you say that because that was the night that I, I threatened to kill my wife. Mm. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And she, well, we were on Oprah together and Oprah asked her, did you think he was going to do it? And she said, I didn't know. And I thought she threw me under the bus, you know, <laughs> but uh, she said, because it wasn't him. Right. Eyes were black. He was like a different person. And and often there'll be a delusion around the murderous rage or the feelings that, that, that substantiate, that that justify. Like I, I, I believe she's the devil going to kill me or something. You know, some crazy thought gets in your head and it stays and it becomes real. Well, in, 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 in with me that night, what I was thinking was I just wanted to scare her to think I was going to do it, but I wasn't going to do it. Now she doesn't, she doesn't know what I'm thinking, but that was my thought. So I, I think about manic states when they're really going, you might've been hypomanic at the time. You might not have been fully manic. I, I think of it like a seizure disorder. Like, like your brain is, is seizing in ways that the, you know, rather than shaking, it's manifesting with these outbursts. Ah, wow, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, stabilizing medication, actually seizure medicine works. You know, lithium works, but not particularly seizure medicine, but Depakote, Lamictal, these are all the medicines that, that are used. And, and your second episode, what happened with that one? Uh, I just started working at General Hospital, and about two weeks into it, or three weeks into it, um, actually my third, that was my third episode. I just started doing weird things. Like I, Paul and I were eating at McDonald's mm. and I went to Blockbuster to get a tape or something. And I saw Jesus at Blockbuster. Good title for a movie. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a comedy or. <laughs> but well. he had long hair, he had the beard. Not, you know, the whole Jesus thing. And uh, so I went back to Paula and I said, Paula, I saw Jesus at Blockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) Paula said, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's like, oh, damn. I don't think so. (laughs) So I took took her to Blockbuster. We go in there and there's there's Jesus. And I said, Paula, look. And it did look like Jesus. Fantastic, and uh, that so I things like that were happening. Like I, where I th- and then I threatened the killer one night, um, among a lot of other things, and uh, it was tough, man. It was real tough having to go back to work after that. Oh my God, were, were you not taking your meds? Is that what happened? Yeah, well, I didn't take them for like two years. Oh, oh goodness! And that, that was that the third time or the second time? Oh, third. The second one was. Uh, I stopped taking my medication again. Uh, the second one was very good. Most of the time with these breakdowns, 
I think it's God and the devil fighting. In your head? Yeah. And most of the time, God wins, but sometimes the devil wins, you know, but I think most of the time God wins. But in this situation, my second uh, episode, it was all God and, and the devil, I mean, in my head. Mm. And one time I, I had to go to church. It's a good story. I had to go to church. And so Paula and my mom take me and it's locked. But you got to understand in this state, it can't be locked. Right. I got to get in. Right. So I'm like, I got to. So we're walking away and Monsignor's, this real old guy, he says, uh, can I help you? And I said, yeah, Monsignor, I got to get in there. And, and, and I got to pray. I got to go pray. And he, they always look at you like, are you on drugs? <laughs> drinking? So he's staring at me. And he said, uh, do you take walks? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, okay, I'm going to let you in, but don't walk up to the altar because I have the alarm on. So I said, okay, okay. So I go in and I go to the third pew and I'm kneeling and I'm crying. And then my mom's next to me crying. And I decide to walk up to the, pew, to the altar oh. and uh, the alarm didn't go off. So in my head, I'm thinking, you see? Got it. mean. <laughs> So then my mom came up, no alarm, and we left. And I think it was Paula or my mom who said, why didn't the alarm go off? And Monsignor said, oh, I guess they forgot to put it on. Sometimes a cigar is just a good smoke. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But that, that whole uh, second episode was, was much like that. Meaning what? Just God, just very much, uh, you know. God and God related. Well, scrupulosity, sometimes people call it, or hyper-religiosity, right? A lot of religious overtones to your preoccupations and things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so uncomfortable. Um, Although some people with bipolar sort of like their mild. Hmm? They do love it, yeah. They like to to live in that that thing. But the problem that, the, the good thing for me is I don't like to, Go that, I don't like the feeling of depression. Yeah. Is there some people who can be here and their depression is not that bad? Yeah, but but the mania left unopposed is always bad. <laughs> it goes to bad places. It, it, it's not it's not a stable thing. Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, a lot of business people and hyperachievers and things are sort of hypomanic chronically. You know, they're sort of up. They don't sleep a lot. They're kind of and they don't really have the depressive phase. I, I, I know that I would call that bipolar so much. Um, but people with bonafide bipolar will have eventually have some sort of a, a down. And the ups don't, don't stay stable. They, they, they flare, as you know. Yes. And the, the agitation, the, you know, eventually delusions, it, it, it can get quite, quite unpleasant. What you, you said in the book, you offered some insight and, and some advice for everyone with mental illness. What kinds of stuff do you want people to do and know? Uh, well, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, I keep saying it, but I've been saying it for a while. Don't let the movie in your head be bigger than the virus. 
Hmm. Um, stay out of your thoughts because you got to stay in the moment. Because once we spiral in here, mm-hmm. it's over, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you were doing before this thing happened, you or, or or if you have anxiety or whatever, you have to get up and don't stay in your bed. Because to me, the bed is like quicksand. It just it just sucks you in, right? Mm-hmm. Even this morning, man, I was in bed and and I just I just jumped out. I had to, you know, I knew I had to do something. So I work out, I eat, uh, do whatever it is I need to do, keep busy, because it's very important to keep busy. I saw something on, uh, I hope it was on Netflix, I think it was, with Anne Hathaway. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, bipolar Netflix, uh, where she is this bipolar woman. It's extreme, Modern Love, yeah. It's a, a series called Modern Love, and e- each one has a different, cast and she is one uh and it's a very accurate rendition of bipolar you you might you might like it uh it's on amazon prime it's not on netflix on amazon prime it's called modern love and she's like it's the first or the last one or something i can't remember but it's the one with ann hathaway i've heard i've heard i've heard she's good in that yeah i may it made me wonder if she had bipolar disorder because she was so good i thought wow that's a pretty good pretty good uh you know, a pretty accurate rendition. So as you think back uh, on these uh, episodes, uh, sometimes people are grateful they have these things because it sort of, it's painful, it's difficult, and it's it's challenging, and it it's, can be burdensome, but it also can be enriching and add insight. And there's something, something I don't know, it exposes our humanity, that having these illnesses. Do you, do you see the the upside to it, or does it all feel like burden to you? No, no, no. I I tell people that I I'm proud of being bipolar, and I've always been proud of it because I know it's made me the actor I am, the person I am, and it's given me strength to know that I can overcome that hell that has been in my life in the past. Um, the only thing that that now gets me a little is is anxiety. Yeah, it's it's I call anxiety Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he yeah, it's in there and he, and you you got to fight him, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I believe me, I know. I, have you done much psychotherapy? Yeah, I've done, so, but you know, my problem is I, I'm feeling great, so I don't want to do anything. To yeah, help. it's hard to motivate when you do feel good, right? But when I'm when something happens, then I call somebody. Right. That's kind of the way it's been with me. I I did a long therapeutic stint uh, for anxiety, and and my anxiety is a lot better, a lot better. I I, I did a sort of what's called an emotionally focused therapy. Uh, there's lots of different ways to deal with anxiety. You you might benefit from something you know shorter term. They have these cognitive behavioral therapies that work very well for it. CBT. I did not do that. I, I, I just can't, I don't know. CBT for me is kind of a, I, I can't, I don't do it. But if emotionally focused therapy got me sort of hooked up to my emotions a little more clearly. And it turned out for me, and this is kind of a common thing for uh, not so much baby boomers, but maybe with millennials right now, is there's a little bit of a disconnect between our primary emotions, our spontaneous bodily-based emotions, and our, under, our ability to access them, understand them, and regulate them. 
And, uh, and when you don't do that, you're left with anxiety. Anxiety just, you just sort of pulling it together. Ah. Yeah. Uh, and, and anxiety, as we said, it can be, it can be part of a mood problem. It can be part of, it can be a role. It can overlap with obsessive compulsive disorder, which is sort of what I have. And it is, uh, you know, treated lots of different ways and it's a nuisance. <laughs> anxiety disorder is a nuisance. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And then I and I and and then now I'm having I can't sleep at night where I feel like I'm gonna drown and I wake up. Oh yeah, that's the anxiety stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. anxiety. Yeah, yeah, waking up gasping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, very familiar with that. And somebody today told me it was my uh, CPAP because sleep apnea. I have sleep apnea. Can be sleep apnea. Do you have sleep apnea? I have sleep apnea, but I don't. I'm not using my my thing. That the the thing would definitely help uh, because that that a waking up gasping can also be part of sleep apnea. That that's the the challenging part about that symptom. It can mean a lot of things. It's it, the, we have a fancy name for it called parox, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. What the? Yeah, PND. It's just a. It's lots of things cause it. It's also an, another nuisance symptom, and it's it's. Eh, I used to get it from dehydration from running from when I was doing distance running. I started getting it all the time. I thought, Oh my God, I must have a cardiac problem. And I did a full workup, nothing. Finally, some, somebody on social media went, uh, Hey, we tried just, uh, rehydrating properly, <laughs> which I did went away completely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, lots of weird symptoms. Uh, what's coming up for you? Anything? Um, no, just the book. The book came out and uh, it's doing well. And just doing publicity. That's what I've been doing for two weeks. This three, I don't know how many weeks. <laughs> I don't even yeah. From an acting standpoint, anything we can where we can I'll find? Go back to work, I hope, man. And then by, hopefully in, in, in June, maybe. I don't know. It's pretty weird, isn't it? It's weird. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I get it, but it's hard when you've had a routine for 27 years to keep to, to not. I get it. Yeah. And again, that that's uh, with, with bipolar. Sometimes the, the, you can be short on, uh, you can need the routine. Any mental illness, really. You can routine is very, very helpful. Yes. But for you, it's, you're, you're cool because you're just doing what you do. Right. I mean, you yeah, can't- I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm not doing a bunch of things, but I'm also trying to do more stuff uh, from home you know, like everybody, and then doing the podcasting and those sorts of things. And Coral has put everybody out on Zoom. So that's how we're doing it for the time being. Yeah. And, uh, my, my sincerest hope, and this is a wish, not a, not a prediction, that this thing is sensitive to the heat and disappears over the summer. That'd be a nice gift. That would be beautiful. Yeah. So, all right. Well, the book is Nothing General About It, How Love and Lithium Saved Me On and Off General Hospital. Speaking of the love part, you didn't tell me that piece. Is Paula the one giving you notes over your shoulder there? (laughs) She wanted me to tell you that the book is New York Times bestseller. I'm not surprised. Congratulations on that. Does she want to come around and say hi? Paula, no. (laughs) Well, tell her hi from me. I I, I hear the note she's giving you (laughs) from the other side of the computer. Uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah I, the love stories. You know, hey, I met her when she was uh, sixteen. Asked her out, and then I 
stood her up because I thought 16 is just too young. So a year later, I go back. She's 17. We go on a double date. And then for whatever reason, she never wanted me to pick her up at her, at her house for months. She'd say, pick me up at the corner, pick me up at, at work. I'm like, what? So finally, I just go there. Her house? Yeah. Uh-huh. This woman answers and no teeth. Just, it, it was like 15 people in this little house. Hmm. They're all doing drugs. Uh. So Paula, we went to the car and Paula said, that's why I never wanted you to come pick me up at my house. Got it. And I said, I don't care. I don't care if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter to me. I said, you should be running for me. I, just, I was just at a mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> I was in leather restraints two months ago. Right. And she goes, I don't care. And that was the beginning. Of- well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, this go- going back, you know, you went back repeatedly. Yeah. Some people, there's something about that. Some people cross our paths and you can't, you can't, not go back. There's something, there's something meant to be compelling. I don't know what that is, but I experienced something similar. Yeah. Well, we, can't, we keep coming back to you, Dr. Drew. Well, I keep coming back to you guys for sure. Don't you worry about that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not leaving you guys. So, well, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the bestseller list and uh, whatever we can do to support this thing. Uh, happy to do it. And, I'm just, I'm just so glad, and I'm going to get you, Gary's going to send you the name of this other book I want you to read that you'll really, you'll love, you'll relate to very strongly. Again, the psychologist wrote about his father and that generation's dealing with bipolar disorder. Uh, essentially, his father just one day decided that he could fly, and he went out on the roof and jumped off. And uh, yeah, and he, of course, had been escalating for quite some time before that happened. And then he was gone for years and they had nothing really to offer them back then. They would do shock therapies and horrible stuff. Mm. And, um, and eventually he stabilized and so things sort of came back together. But, you know, the way people hid this stuff back then was just, oh, my God, so painful. And, you know, the kids always assume it's something they did or that they're, they're not good enough, that dad doesn't love them or they did something to make dad run away or be sick. And, I mean, that's just how children think. So anybody who has any of this kind of stuff going on, uh, look, be, be very matter of fact about it. It's an illness. Dad's going to be fine. May, you know, has certain features. You, we can talk about it as it goes. But uh, all, the kids want to know that it's a, it's a thing that you can define a name and that they're going to get better. That's what they want to know. You can't overcome it. Oh, I don't even think about it as overcoming it, frankly. I, I just think about I think about it, it's an illness, it has effective treatments, and they work. That's that. So, yeah. and you are a living example of that. And uh, thank you for, you know, sharing your story with us. Okay, thank you for having me. All right, man, that is Maurice Bernard. The book is, Bernard, the book is uh, Nothing General About It, How Love and Lithium Saved Me On and Off General Hospital. Available now, you can follow Maurice at Maurice Bernard, B-E-N-A-R-D on Twitter, and MauriceBernard.tv is the website. Uh, Thank you, Maurice, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. 
For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or Dr. Drew.com.